get out of an Uber at a curve in the road and step into what looks like a field. The grass is almost knee high. It's a little bit of a walk. Okay. I'm told that this is the way to the commune, Ekanana. The other voice you can hear on the tape is Jordan Busser, an American researcher who is guiding me in. It shouldn't be too muddy anymore. I've come to Durban, South Africa, the week after tremendous floods have completely wrecked the region. Today, though, the sun is out and it has momentarily stopped raining. Yeah, this is the community garden right here. This plot of land, yeah, but during the floods, the river was up a lot higher, so it flooded most of the garden. Ekanana is a lush communal garden. When I first arrived in Durban in April 2022, the garden is home to just over 100 people. There aren't just homes here. There's a vegetable patch, communal spaces, a shop. This place isn't owned by any one person. And the proceeds from selling the vegetables and the eggs are shared equally among the residents. Hello. How are you always? I'm good, how are you? Good, good, and yourself? Good, thanks. This is Sneeko Meyer. He's one of the managers of the garden. Though it's occupied land, a court has ruled that the residents are legally allowed to stay here. Sneeko is dressed in a pink and blue striped shirt and matching hat. He takes us around the garden. It's sugar beans and pumpkin. Sugar beans. Where are yes. the sugar beans? Because those are my favorite. These are the sugar beans, yeah. It's inside, yeah. The death toll from the floods would eventually reach at least 435 people, with many more missing. And though Ekanana is relatively unaffected, the heavy rain hasn't been kind to the crops. And what's here? What's these tiny things here? It's spinach. Spinach? Yes. It's spinach. Our spinach is trying this side. Slowly, slowly. There is something else, though, that is affecting this garden and the people here. They used to plow all the way over there, but because um, of the violence, they, they're scared to uh, plow all the way to the end. Oh, man. Welcome to The Last Afternoon in the Garden, a limited podcast series produced and presented by me, Paul McNally. Over four episodes, we're going to be looking at the assassination of land activist Ayanda Nagila. So let's get right back to talking to Sneeko in the Ekanana Garden. We're standing where it happened, right? The shooting. You see where the kids are playing. Yeah, they, 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 was really he was laying there. Ayanda was assassinated in the garden we are standing in on the 8th of March, 2022. He was just 30 years old. That's where he was laying? Yes. Where the kids were? Yes. That's exactly where he was laying after being shot. The murder, he says, has had a chilling effect. The members of the commune are terrified now to come out into the garden. And as a result, the crops are dying. This story is about an assassination. But it's also about our basic rights for access to food and water. Ayanda was shot in broad daylight in the middle of the afternoon. He was surrounded by women and children. Here's Sneeko again. Everything happened so fast. When I read the, the door of my house, that's where I heard the, the gunshot. It was hectic. Everyone was running for their lives. 
Next, you're going to hear from Mbali Kubeker, the lawyer who is representing the organization that Ayanda belonged to, called Abakhali Basim John Dolo. These perpetrators went straight to them and started shooting and mm. shooting. There was four and started shooting. Two took the side, two took the side. So Ayanda was a leader for Abakhali, and that's the organization that started this whole commune where he was killed. When the assassins came, Sneeko dived inside the shack and tried to hide under the bed. He didn't fit. So instead, he just stood in the doorway and watched as Ayanda ran. Ayanda kept running and running. And even at his last moments of running, he ran past the house where all the women had been hidden because he could have ran and hidden inside the house and they would have all come in Obviously, they would have to shoot everyone that was in the house. The idea is if he had gone in where the women and children were hiding, then everyone else along with him would have been shot. Here's Sneeko again. I continued watching while he was running, trying to cross the bridge. There was a bridge this side there. What's that? Uh, Where's the bridge now? The rain uh, took it away. It was drained by the, the rain. It's gone now. Ayanda was shot in the legs first, so he fell down, buckling at the knees, before being killed by one of the ten bullets that were found beside him. But it's the next detail I find the most disturbing. And then he told them, Bashali, take pictures. Let the world know what is going on. He yelled for people to take photos of him so the world would find out the truth. Those are the words of a man who was expecting to be killed and was clearly at the center of a conflict that he imagined would end in his death. Take pictures, let the world know what is going on. Mm. But obviously as a person and obviously at that moment in time, they were not in a fit state to even take out pictures or take out phones and do all of those photographic things. And the reason why Ayanda suspected his death was coming and wanted photos taken when it did is because he is the 21st member of Abakhali to have been murdered since its inception in 2005. I first visit the Abakhali headquarters on a Sunday. Beautiful choir music is coming out of a church that's in the same block. I walk down many passages and then finally get into their actual office, which is a large room. And I sit there and wait to be seen to. Now I'm saying that the state's intelligence can send somebody pretending to be a media person or somebody who we've had that. Is it's that like in infiltration, yes. Some sort of infiltration just to find out uh, what this guy is up to. This is Tepelo Mahapi, General Secretary of Abakhali Basim Jondolo. And Tapello is suspicious that I'm not from the media, that I could be here to infiltrate the organization. No, infiltration is its own way of exposing itself. <laughs> yeah. So we never catch them. By the time we catch them, they're already inside. Oh, wow. Yeah, we've just had recently somebody who poses as um, a partner and a supporter of our struggle. And as somebody eventually went and infiltrated the branches and they, they did a whole lot of things which resulted to wrongful arrest as well. 
Abakalali's members are often arrested, sometimes for crimes as serious as assault and murder. They always claim that the arrests are wrongful. That's what Tapello is referring to here, and a way to silence their activism. Okay, well, <laughs> let, me, let me try and prove myself. Yeah, please, can you do that? Um, I can see my organizer is actually writing. I search my phone for some kind of credentials that will satisfy Tapello. I got my driver's license for that, but I can show you my. I can show you the website. Back in June 2018. The movement was approached by senior people in crime intelligence and told that there was a plan within the ANC, the ruling party in Durban, to assassinate the Abakali president, Sabu Sekode. They asked Sekode to go into witness protection and he refused. He said he didn't trust the state to protect him, but he did take the advice and promptly went into hiding in his personal capacity. Now, while he was in hiding, three people who Abakhali haven't named but were in high positions in the organization began to try and push an agenda in support of the ANC. And so, on the 16th of September 2018, that same year, Abakhali's National Council and their KwaZulu Natal Provincial Council were dissolved in an urgent General Assembly because they were worried that the leadership had been infiltrated by the ruling party. Basically, Zakode went into hiding because he'd been told he was going to be assassinated by the ANC, and the people he'd left behind started to push an ANC agenda. Eventually, I scrolled to a website with my face and profile. Yeah, I can talk for you. Yeah, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I've been vetted sufficiently. Opposite from where we are seated is a giant mural painted on the wall saying our struggle for land, housing and dignity, with depictions of members singing and protesting. There is this persistent use of the word dignity in cartoons, stuck-up newspaper articles and other materials around the office. And though I'm here to cover the assassination of Ayanda, Tapello begins to tell me about the incredible work Abakali has been doing for people regarding the recent floods. They started helping immediately and haven't stopped. We are a province in disaster. People have died, people have lost their lives, they've lost their position. And it's just a very traumatic moment and uh, people do need casting on the ground as well. Mm. If it affected me just by seeing it, imagine somebody had seen what was happening. We are not governments. We don't have that much of funds, but we believe that if we work together as South Africans, we can get out of this. Each and every one of us here know of many bodies that have not been recovered. This like neglect from the government, or what's your sort of take on that? Well, when we say government does not care about the poor, people now understand what we mean. The reason why we have been sidelined or seen as the enemy of the state has been as because we could see from afar and we said that the government does not care. This is not a, a government that is pro-poor, that the, the government does not care what is happening on the ground. Uh, this government loots when there's COVID and they're going to loot now. There is talk of a fund being released by the ANC government to help the crisis. But there is already a suspicion that corrupt habits will heavily reduce the amount before it gets to the people in need. Disasters have become 
something for politicians to profit on. It would be their companies that are going to be doing the fixing of the road. It's going to be their cousins who are going to be fixing bridges and so forth. Spin forward to September 2022. So six months later, with close to 5,000 temporary housing structures needed, the government had provided just over a thousand, so a fifth. And by October, a report said that Treasury had approved less than half of the billion rands allocated. Can we leave these two chairs outside number 11? In order to help, Abakhali are appealing to citizens and civil society organizations to donate stuff. So far, they have received donations of instant porridge, clothes, blankets, and sleeping mats. And as you can hear on the tape, an assortment of chairs. There is a kid skidding down the hill towards me as I enter the location. I'm in Ekanini informal settlement in Caddo Manor, just over the hill from where Ayanda Nagila was murdered. The kid is on a blue plastic push bike and comes thundering to a stop at the bottom and splashes into a puddle. When it's over, he turns around and starts walking back up the hill to go again. There are houses around us that have been completely destroyed by the floods. Oh, wow. We cross a small bridge and then suddenly we are in this swirl of shack building materials. Hello. Sorry. Hi. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything so sad. Someone's house has come straight off the side of the hill. Oh, this was your fridge? Yes, and this one, everything, my things is here. And um, my house is there. It's come down to here. So your house was where? Up there? Yeah. And now it's here? Yeah. And yet 59-year-old Chlope Sile isn't crying. She even returns my smile. She just keeps opening the door of this fridge. It's now on its side, crusted with mud in the corners. The ice tray is by her feet in the dirt and she can't help the futility of opening and closing this fridge door, looking inside each time like she wants to do something. I'm nice to meet you. No, thanks. They bring 60 blankets? Yes, there's a church donate with the children's clothes. Uh, so now a councillor is coming with a, a 60 blanket. So the councillor is going to bring blankets that have been donated by a church? By a church. Thanks, man. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. But it's better than nothing. Yeah, it's better than nothing. Yes. are busy tracking who needs help and then putting their details into handwritten spreadsheets. Here is Tapello again. I mean, we've occupied uh, a lot of piece of land in within the cities. The bits of land that you've taken over, they won't give them electricity and water and things like that? They, they don't do that. And people have to make their own means to actually connect their own water, their own electricity. Which was what was happening on in March when, when Ayanda was oh, yes. killed. You see, when Ayanda was shot, he was busy fixing a water pipe that was needed to irrigate the communal garden. So he was trying to give people access to water. But it's important to note that he was technically stealing water from the municipal grid. And 
Believe it or not, that detail tends to color people's sympathy for him. There's always uh, middle-class people that the government sees as important. So we will connect from whatever is provided from them <laughs> along the way. <laughs> okay, just explain that a bit. So what, this is someone's house and you... No, 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 not from somebody's house. Someone, okay. No, it's, it's a pipe yeah. that comes from the municipality okay. that goes provide to that middle-class community. And then we connect from there to meet the states halfway. Drill into the pipe? Well, whatever. <laughs> the method, I'm whatever just the interested method in the... But I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying that there is water that is provided to middle-class people. And that water bypasses the poorest of the poor. Yes. So the poorest of the poor make way to actually connect to that type okay. of water. The same with electricity. It bypasses the informal settlements and goes and provides the people in the informal settlement will go to the electric box and connect yes. themselves. Yes. Sneeko was also trying to fix the water pipe that day with Ayanda. Lucky for me, I was coming back to my house to collect the, the fittings for the pipe, you yeah. see. He was going back to his house to collect the parts they needed, and that saved his life. Before I went to Durban, I sat in a leafy Johannesburg coffee shop speaking to Jonas Kherdi Alasal, founder of nonprofit Pan Africa Today, which is an organization that is concerned with changing society. We spoke about how Abakhali is under threat. The movement has always been repressed and subject to violence because of the nature of its work, because it's effectively challenging the question of the sanctity of private property over human life. Mm -hmm. And that is something that the regardless of which political party, which business group, which academic institution, that has been taken as almost sacrosanct in the South African context, regardless of whether we are talking before or after 1994. So they are challenging one of the kind of pillars upon which consistently South Africa has, has, has been built, which is the sanctity of private property. And they're saying that that shouldn't be the case. Jonas then explains what Abakhali is striving to do. They are really at the crux of one of the questions that remains unresolved in South Africa. I mean, granted it's in the urban areas, but they are dealing with this land question. And urban land and what is, how do we understand it? Is it about building homes and making lives for people? Is it a commodity that can be bought and resold? That debate, they are contesting it as a movement. And that contestation around the, effectively the unresolved land question in South Africa that they are at the heart of puts them in a position where there are many people in the state, in the bourgeois public sphere, everywhere that are quite hostile to what they do. Because the view is these are a bunch of criminals that are coming and they're just occupying land that they didn't buy. You have this juxtaposition of private property on the one hand and a constitutional right that people deserve housing dignity and life, no matter what, on the other. Abashali, really their bread and butter question is people who are being evicted from their shacks. And the movement tries to, both in legal means and whatever ways they can, to ensure that people don't have to be rendered homeless. And I think one thing to start off with is an eviction is an inherently violent process. People coming with guns into your home and saying that, sorry, we're going to be demolishing your shack today. Abatlali is concerned with offsetting that violence of taking people 
aggressively out of their homes. And it is important to note that if someone is on a piece of land illegally and they get evicted, then they are given some protections under the law. Like if an eviction would lead to them being homeless, then the municipality is obliged to provide temporary alternative accommodation. But in South Africa, people are often evicted without any of this in place. The Ekanana Commune is an operation that takes this protection from eviction a step further, or tries to, and says, we're gonna take this land and we're gonna make the conditions better than a usual informal settlement. Unfortunately, the severely violent consequences of doing that are becoming apparent. Fighting, of course, against the evictions, against the violence, against the kind of active ways in which people continue to be impoverished, against the exclusion of poor people from the lifeblood of the city. In other words, that poor people ought to have access to schools and jobs and public transport and so forth. So it's not just a question of having a home, it's also a question of where that home is. Kaya Ungabani was arrested for Ayanda's murder late in the month of March 2022. He's the son of Samson Ungabani, who leads a Zionist church in the nearby suburb of Mavel. Kaya was allegedly one of four gunmen who entered the garden that day. When Kaya was arrested for the murder, a police case had already been opened against him because of an incident on the Sunday before the assassination, where he allegedly led a group into the commune to assault members of Abakhali after their general monthly assembly. This meeting was also important because it's where Linda Kule Mguni introduced a new song which he had recently composed in prison. I'll be speaking to Linda Kule in a later episode, particularly about how he was shot at, but survived on the day of Ayanda's assassination. Also during this meeting, two homes in the commune were reopened after being restored because they had been burnt down during another attack. This ongoing court case around the houses being burnt, we will get into in a later episode. During this altercation, allegedly led by Kair, Sneeko, who we heard from earlier, was rushed to hospital for being chopped with an axe. Here's Sneeko talking about Ayanda's killers. You know them 100%. can recognize them and say, this guy was here shooting him. That's the story. And they know that we know them. That's why our life now is at risk, but there's no other way. There's no, there's no way to go now. And you don't want to leave, obviously, as well. This is my home now. There's no way I, I, I will run to. If they want to kill me, they will kill me inside. As a community, we fought for this place, and they want to come and, and, and take it away from us. That will be difficult. They have to kill us all if, if they can do it. Kyer, in the past, did run in an election to try and be a ward councillor for the ANC. He didn't win. But regardless of that, as soon as he's arrested, this narrative that the ANC, as an organization, is responsible for Ayanda's death starts to completely permeate the conversation and the media. Here's Sabu Zikorde, the president of Abakhali. We have never had any statement from the ANC denying these allegations, denying that it is not associated with any of the Ngubane family. Here's Tapello again. And I did challenge the ANC, and I'm still challenging uh, them to say, if you are not responsible for the killings of Abashali, 
come out in the open and say the people who are saying that they are members of the ANC are not doing that on behalf of the ANC. The idea that the ANC are the villains when it comes to land ownership and even assassinations comes up frequently and casually when talking to members of Abu Khali. And to be fair, there is some evidence that members of the ANC have targeted the organization in the past, and we will get into that. But this blanket blaming is worrying. It is for too long that when we accuse the ANC of being party in the assassination, they have never denied that. So that on its own, that silence of them tells you by virtue of being silenced, it makes them complicit. In 2018, a group of families, after being evicted from their homes nearby, established the Ekanana settlement on vacant land. So no one was there. Samkelo Majair said at the time, we arrived here when it was just a dense, neglected forest. When we got together, we identified this place and gradually claimed it as our new home. These people are winning dignity for themselves. They're not waiting for the state to provide it. They are not signing a petition. They're not doing it necessarily within the framework of what many people will consider to be the law. But they are doing the thing that any ordinary, rational, peace-loving person will think is, is reasonable, which is to say, let's build a dignified life for ourselves. And that's what Ayanda was killed for, for the idea of poor people taking power into their own hands and building a dignified life in a socialist commune in the middle of Durban in South Africa. The scale of repression is less about the individual people involved and more about the ideas that are at stake and the challenge that is being posed. I mean, it's one case study, but I think there are people who don't want that idea to spread, and, and sadly he had to die for it. The question is, was Ayanda killed over ideas, like Jonas says, or something more personal, financial and petty? Tapello then starts talking about how the organization is constantly undermined. So there's that undermining as well to say, no, no, there's no um, black person or black people who can create a strong movement like this. Um, That's what they believe. Yeah, there yeah. must be there must be a dead force behind this. Mm. There must be a white genius person. <laughs> <who's actually> <laughs> <laughs> Who's behind all of this? Like these, these, these people from the shacks can't be like this. These guys, no, 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 it can't be. They must be. What, what do they know about dignity? You can hear on the tape that I'm laughing because this is the first I've heard of it. So wait, <laughs> wait. So there's a thought, there's a belief that there's a white person organizing it all behind the scenes. For and who believes that? The, the governments. They said they, they, there's a dead force behind this. Right. They are. Um, uh, European minds who undermine our hard-fought freedom. But um, I live in the informal settlement. I know the inhuman conditions that I live under. So I can't really... You can't, you can't tell me about my situation. Uh, I don't think a white person from Europe can come in and say, look, you are living under inhuman conditions. Why don't you talk about it in the, in the open? So there's a belief that you can't be talking about land, housing and dignity. Uh, unless there's uh, a dead force behind all of this. Is the ANC, South Africa's ruling party, involved in this assassination, as Abakali have consistently claimed? Or does this violence have to do with something else entirely? All of this on the next episode.
The Last Afternoon in the Garden is a four-part podcast series produced by me, Paul McNally, for Develop Audio. We are an audio-focused organization based in South Africa that is training a growing community of African journalists to produce podcasts and audio projects. Check out our work at developaudio.co.za. The music for this series is composed by John Bartman. You can check out his work at John Bartman with two ends.com. And this episode was mixed and mastered with additional editing by Danny Boyson. Also, a huge thanks goes to the Henry Namalo Foundation for their financial support with this series. We couldn't have done it without them. And thanks to the Mail and Guardian for agreeing to be the publishing partner for this series. You can find this and other podcasts on their site, mg.co.za. That's all for now. Goodbye. The gunman came around 7.30 p.m. and shot Tuli and the baby fell. So they're ready to stand even before the court and tell them, listen, I was there, I saw him pull the trigger, and even if I talk, even if I don't talk, you know, some things are inadvertible, it's going to happen. <laughs>